This is live coverage of the 2021 Steelers Minicamp. Live from Heinz Field on your 24-7 home for the Steelers. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Sitting here live at Heinz Field for day three of Steelers Minicamp. I am Tom Opferman. With me, as always, is Jacob Recht and Kellen Gursky. We make up what is the Steelers standard. And we were doing a little over-unders to wrap up the first hour of the show. Got a couple more on my plate here that I wanted to get into with you guys. We talked a ton about the offense. We did Najee, we did Juju, we did Big Ben. Let's switch things over to the defensive side of the ball. We talked Big Ben's over-under on interceptions. What about Minka Fitzpatrick's over-under on interceptions? I might have gotten a little too cocky here when I set this number. Okay. I put Minka Fitzpatrick's total at five and a half interceptions on the season. Did he get five last year? I believe so. That is a ton of interceptions to ask for. He He got got four four. last season. Although, I don't think if I'm going to bet over on somebody to do something so dramatic like this, Minka might be the guy that I put that money on. And i got to be honest, I I like Joe Hayden saying yesterday he wants to see the secondary become more playmaking, just splash plays. I think Terrell Edmonds will take a little bit of a step forward as far as being that anchor for Minka Fitzpatrick. And I feel like you're going to see a lot more comfortability with Minka Fitzpatrick on this team, although he's been on the team for two years now. This is the first time he's gotten a full offseason with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He didn't have OTAs or minicamp with the Steelers in his first season here because he was traded in week three to Pittsburgh from Miami. And as we all know, last year there was no offseason workouts, minicamp, OTAs, anything like that because of COVID. So he gets to break into the fold for an entire offseason. You saw him at OTAs all uh, the weeks leading up to this minicamp. I think Minka Fitzpatrick goes over five and a half this year. I think he comes down with six interceptions for the Steelers. And I know this isn't part of the game we're playing, but I'd also put him over .5 touchdowns. I think he's going to take one back to that. Wow, I like that a lot. I mean, The precedent is there. He ran 90 yards down the field against the Colts his first season here in Pittsburgh for a pick six. Was it him or Joe Hayden who had the one against Cleveland week five? That was Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he had one. He's had one two years. He's done it each season. Each of his two seasons in Pittsburgh, I think – Tom, the way you said it is I could not have said it better myself. If there's any guy you can have confidence into taking over on something that's good, it's Minka Fitzpatrick. And Even with such a steep number like that. And it is, but we've seen guys go for more. I mean, in, in Troy Palomalo's MVP season in 2010, he had seven interceptions. I don't know. I think one or t- maybe even two were returned for touchdowns. So which which one for you is harder to go with the over, the .5 touchdowns or the five-and-a-half interceptions overall? I think I honestly have more confidence in the .5 touchdowns. I honestly I do, think I do, too. I do too. I do Just too. because Minka, I mean, we talked a lot about the relationship between Minka and Terrell Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds, in order for Minka to kind of really become the, the best safety in the league, Terrell Edmonds has to be more of a of a, of a security blanket so that Minka can play more of the traditional free safety position, which would allow for more interceptions. So I think it depends a lot on Terrell Edmonds' quality of play here. But I'm going to say I'm going to say over for both five and a half interceptions on the season and point point five uh, return touchdowns on the season as well. I'm, I'm, this is Minka Fitzpatrick we're talking about. This is not this is not just anyone. This isn't Cam Sutton or Joe Hayden or Steve Nelson. This is Minka. This is arguably the best safety in football. I agree, I, and so that's why I'm going to go over for both. Uh, I'm definitely taking the over on the half a touchdown. Uh, I, I, I mean, he only needs one, you know what I mean? It, whereas on the interception side, 
Uh, I think I'm going to go under. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a steep ask, Tom. Uh, yeah, six interceptions. Six is a, ton. six is a lot. I think he might get the five, maybe. Um, but again, I mean, the Steelers' defense last year averaged almost an interception a game. Um, I mean, that sort of thing doesn't happen all the time. You know, can you really replicate that? What was it two years ago when the Steelers like had you know so many turnovers and so many bounces go their way? Right. You're not going to get that all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, like I said earlier with Ben throwing the interceptions, sometimes it's just bad bounces. Sometimes you know the ball hangs up in the air an extra second, or some you know it hits an offensive lineman or something like that. The same thing can be said for the defensive side of things too. You know, uh, a ball doesn't get batted at the offensive line; it goes straight down instead of going up in the air or whatever it is. I think that's you know that's probably you know it's probably a lot to ask for Minka to you know get to six interceptions. But again, it doesn't mean that he's going to have a bad year that he won't have any inter- interceptions at all. I think he could probably get to about four or five. I mean, that's still really really good. He hasn't gotten past five in his career. He had five his first year with Pittsburgh. He had four last year. I think but it is also still, he he was right around there. Before we move on though, it's important to note we're talking about that point five touchdown over. Uh-huh. He had a pick six his rookie season in Miami too. This wow. guy is this guy. This is, guy's found himself in the end zone. Ha, all has three a nose seasons. for the end zone. He's got very a, similar to Troy Polamalu. He three years in the NFL, three touchdowns on his career so far. So yeah, I, I think taking that over. And you want to talk about how rare an interception can be for one player specifically? How rare is it to get a touchdown in your career? Some guys get one defensive touchdown in their career, and they're saying. That was probably the best moment of my life. That was sick. That was awesome. This guy has won in each of his NFL seasons. That is a huge, huge deal. Moving to a guy on the defensive side of the ball that has a pedigree just like Mika Fitzpatrick when it comes to his reputation around the league, that's Mr. T.J. Watt. He has been flirting with the Steelers' single-season sack record for the better part of the past two seasons when he has been, I would say, the runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year in both of those occasions. Steelers' sack record is 16. Mr. James Harrison said that. I'm putting the over-under at 16.5 for T.J. Watt. Will he tie that record, or will he break it? I think he breaks it this year. T.J. averaged a sack per game last year. He had 15 sacks in 15 games that he played in the regular season. I foresee the Steelers not being able to have the luxury to rest their starters come Week 17 this year. I think they'll be fighting for a playoff spot still in that game. And I believe T.J. Watt will continue to average at least one sack per game, landing him at number 17 on the year, breaking that single-season sack record for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and finally giving him the Defensive Player of the Year award. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking back to our conversation we just had about Minka, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know if T.J. can do it just because without Bud Dupree it's going to be a lot harder. But we just sat here and talked about Minka Fitzpatrick being the best at his position – and having you can look at him and say, I have the confidence in you to, to get these numbers. Well, then what the hell are we talking about if we're not going to say the same thing about T.J. Watt? T.J. Watt is not just the best at his position. He's probably the best defender in all of football. He should have been a two-time back-to-back defensive player of the year had it not been for name recognition in Aaron Donald and a weird fluke uh, gift uh, to the guy on the Patriots who I'm just blanking on Stephen right now. Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. Yeah. It's still questionable to me. But anyways, moving on, I, I I was sitting here thinking, I don't know if TJ can do it without Bud, but I think that's blasphemous. I'm, I'm not giving TJ enough credit for how dominant this guy can be. I mean, he, he averaged last season, for the games that he started, one sack per game. 
and we talk about just not just the sacks, but the impact, the tackles for losses. This guy can get to the quarterback. Doesn't matter who's lining up opposite him, even if it's Highsmith. You still had up up front. You still have Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, and Tyson Alou all crashing in. You can't guard everyone perfectly. One guy is going to get through. And if I have the confidence of one specific guy to get through, to get 16 and a half sacks to break the Steelers' season record, it's going to be T.J. Watt. I'm going to go over. Um, boys, I think we've talked about this a lot, but uh, I think I, I would lean towards the under 16 and a half. I, I see T.J. probably around 16 or 15. I think that's really uh, that's realistic for him. Not to say that I think it's crazy if he breaks the the record because he is one of the better defensive players I think us three have ever seen in our lifetime, at least in a Steeler uniform. Um, but with that being said, I, the reason that I, I go under is just because of, um, you know, not having Bud. And, and I know that, that Highsmith can acclimate himself well. Um, but at the same time, it's just it's a different um, it, it's a different set of circumstances. We haven't seen this yet. Um, and I think that's kind of the reason why I lean towards the under. Now, granted, in, uh, I don't know, five months from now, six months from now, whatever it is, you know, if, if things are, are looking different, Highsmith is really impressing, will my tune change? It's very possible. And if anybody can do it, as you pointed out, Jacob, I think it, it can be T.J. Watt, and it is T.J. Watt. But as we sit here in June right now, it's just tough for me to, to, to say that he's going to break the, 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 the sack record when we know he's going to see a lot more attention. Going back to the offensive side of the ball, this is a bit of a negative one now for the first time that we've had. I think I know where you're going. Deontay Johnson yep. had 16 drops last season. 16 drops on the year. You talked about TJ averaging a sack per game. That's that's Deontay averaging, averaging a drop per game. Per game. Yeah. I dropped his number down to 10.5 drops on the season. I think De- Deontay Johnson is going to go under on the drops. And, and here here's my reasoning behind it. A lot of – we're not going to get into this, but a lot of – narrative last year was oh off the field distractions distractions on the field before pregame warm-ups what was the one thing you saw Deontay Johnson doing though while Juju Chase Claypool other players as well were messing around on the field putting in work putting in the work receiver coaches throwing him bad balls balls at his feet balls up high he has that work ethic on the jug machine he has the work ethic and I I think he sat with himself this offseason his personal trainer. I think he's actually he worked himself out week with. to week after he would suffer those drops. And he just said 16 drops is far too many for an NFL player and far too many for the caliber of player that I aspire to be. I have to imagine he put a lot of his focus into shoring up those hands for the 2021 season. And with the work ethic we've seen to this point in his career and his two seasons here, I can't question that he will come out in 2021 and have gotten that bug off his back, and he will be under 10.5 drops on the season. You know, you're going to drop a ball for your receiver. You're not all Larry Fitzgerald where you're going to catch every single ball that comes your way and you get your hand on. But if he can only have five, six drops on the year, that's perfectly fine as far as the Steelers' offense is concerned and as far as a league average wide receiver is. Yeah, I'm going to go under, too, because... Well, let's say this. We predict he's going to go under. He better go under, though, for sure. Right. This is the one, you know, we've talked about yards for Najee, catches for Juju, interceptions and turnovers galore for Minka and and TJ. But this is the one that is really important. I think, you know, we talked about interceptions for Ben, but that's manageable. If Deontay Johnson wants to be the number one wide receiver, and let's look just beyond... Even just the number two. Even just the number two, but let... Exactly. Thank you. Let's look beyond 2020. 
probably the next year, Juju will not be a Pittsburgh Steeler. So you, you're going to have to be the definitive number two because it's probably I agree be, with you probably, but we probably, said that after 2020. Right, we <laughs> did. We did. And let's just say for this conversation's sake, Juju is not here. Claypool will probably take out that number one spot You'd just because so, he's yeah. the typical big, deep threat. Well, you hope he Deontay, takes that this year too. Right. Yeah. Deontay will definitely be the number two guy. If you if you assume Claypool can step up and be the number one guy, you can't have your number two option, who is going to see a lot more uh, short to mid level throws, dropping those easy catches. So I I agree, Tom. I think he's put in the work, and not only that, but you fully expect him to recover from the 2020 blunders, and and you and you hope for the best because if he if somehow he catches the Ironic that I said catches. If he gets the the drop bug once again in 2021, it's going to be a problem. Oh, no doubt. And I, I, boys, I'm going under two. And, and as you illustrated, Tom, he better go under um, Deontay Johnson. Um, 16, like you said, way too many. And and don't forget too. I mean, we talked about uh, Matt Williamson. Um, he had his top 25 wide receivers in the league. He had his rankings come out on Pro Football Network. And he had Deontay Johnson at number 25. He was the only Steeler to make the list. There's a reason for that, and he cited the drops too when he when he talked about him. But at the same time, it gives you some credence. You know, last year might have just been a little bit of a fluke. At least in Deontay Johnson's case, he better hope it was a fluke. No question. One last over under we'll get to here. Okay, let's hit it. Pat Fryermuth. Okay. Tight end. Okay. Over under four and a half touchdowns on the season for the Steelers. I'm gonna go under. I think he's going to have three touchdowns that are significant. I think he's going to be a decent red zone target for the Steelers this season. There's just so many other players around. You've said it before, Jacob. There's only one ball, and there's so many targets on this offense. And I still don't even know if he's a better red zone target than Eric Ebron. Time will tell as far as that's concerned. Uh, But I do think he gets himself onto the field in some red zone situations, and I think he comes up with a couple big catches. I'd have him at three touchdowns, but I don't think he gets over four and a half. So last year, Eric Ebron had five. And if you would have told me at this time last year, going once the Steelers had signed Eric Ebron, that Eric Ebron was only going to have five touchdowns, that is without Najee Harris, and that is without a backup tight end in Pat Fryermuth, I would have said you're crazy. I would have expected the number to be not way over, but maybe somewhere in the 7-8 neighborhood, something like that. I thought five would have been way too low. So with four and a half set for the number for Pat Firemuth, I think that's a very healthy number for him. I'm also going to go under, but it's not its not anything against Pat Firemuth. It's just because there is one ball, and there are four receivers, two tight ends, and Najee Harris. There, there's If he gets more, it'd be a pleasant surprise, but maybe not because maybe that just means that someone's hurt. Someone's not not either not stepping up to the plate, someone's taking a step back in their progression, or someone's hurt. So if he if he does get to that number without an injury or without a setback in terms of quality of play, that's great. That's what you hope for. But it's again by by going under here, I'm not gonna say it's because of his lack of quality. I think he's a good tight end and I think one day just because there's no real loyalty with Eric Ebron, I mean Pat Fryermuth was a second-round draft pick for this team. I think he will be the expected starter in the future. So maybe down the line, I looked for that number to go up. But even remember, Heath Miller wouldn't get more than five touchdowns, four touchdowns in a given season. So it's not just it's not just you know the tight end. 
or it's not just this specific tight end. It's just how the Steelers use their tight ends in a, in a certain way. So I'm going to go under it, but again, it's it's not it's not a red flag at all that we're going under four and a half touchdowns here. I'll make it quick. I know we're up against the break here. Um, I know I got a Penn State bias. I understand that. Going I, I am going to go over, but only, <laughs> only at five. I think he gets to five touchdowns. Um, again, just because of I think he's going to be a really uh, big red zone threat um, to uh, to Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. And I, I see a scenario in which later in the season his reps go way up and Ebron's go down a little bit. I really do see that scenario. Not to say that he's going to be the starter or that he's the definitive number one, but I do see you know that scenario taking place midway through the year. Like, hey, this this Fryermuth kid's pretty good, and, and Ebron, while he you know he has his his flashes, I think you know I just think that that Fryermuth can be the the better overall tight end, and that might be the scenario that we see come week ten. When we come back, we will get into that position battle for the backup quarterback spot and potentially the quarterback of the future, as I promised we would. That's on the other side of the break, so keep it right here on the Steelers Standard, right here on SNR. This is live coverage of the 2021 Steelers minicamp live from Heinz Field on your 24-7 home for the Steelers. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Steelers standard rolling along here on day three of minicamp for your Pittsburgh Steelers. We wanted to get into this backup quarterback debate because although it's a no-brainer, number seven is going to be the starting quarterback this year for your Steelers, there is a position battle for that number two spot. Three guys, I think, fighting for it, although I think Dobbs is probably a distant third right yeah. now compared to Rudolph and Haskins. You could assume that. I think Mason Rudolph has the leg up, and I think the best thing that could happen for the Steelers is that Rudolph wins that number two job. He's been around the team longer than Dwayne Haskins has, and even if Dwayne Haskins has a little bit better of a pedigree and maybe a higher ceiling than Rudolph, Still a lot that he has to learn and a lot he has to catch up on with this team. So if it were me, obviously it depends on how Rudolph performs at camp and the preseason games. But I would be a lot more comfortable if, God forbid, Ben Roethlisberger were to go down, Mason Rudolph be the one that steps in, at least this season. Yeah, I mean, it's and as Bob Labriola pointed out when we had him on a couple segments ago, they went out and re-signed him with intent. There was... There was no, there was going to be no air of uncertainty. Come right, the Steelers did not have to do that. Come the 2021 offseason, if speculation is correct and Ben Roethlisberger would retire at the end of this year, they did not want to be without Mason Rudolph. If Ben did did decide that this would be his last year dressing in the black and gold, so I think when you consider that, you have to assume this this isn't a Landry Jones that they went out and got also in the third round and said to themselves, well, we could have him here as a, as a, as a backup, but we'll see what he does. And if he impresses enough, then we'll keep him around. That didn't happen. Landry Jones was in and out of the, in and out of this team, in and out of this locker room. And then Mason Rudolph arrived and Mason Rudolph got significant, significantly more starting opportunities than did Landry Jones. And in the circumstances too, they were, they were much more dire because when Landry Jones subbed in for Big Ben, it knew was, ben was coming back eventually. Big Ben was only out for a couple of weeks. You knew Ben was out for the entire season when he went down and Mason Rudolph stepped in. And the Steelers liked what they saw enough 
given the circumstances and given his quality of play, that they said, we don't want you on another team. We would rather you, we would rather have you dress for us than dress for someone else. So I think when you consider that, even though they went out and got a guy like Dwayne Haskins, I think you have to assume that that Mason Rudolph is is the guy to get. He's the guy to wear number two, and, and he'll be number two on that quarterback depth chart. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I lean that way too. I mean, just because of the fact that he's been here longer and um, he's already played. I mean, not a full season, but he's you know played you know a, a considerable amount of time. Um, with the Steelers, and I think he definitely has a leg up there. And as Bob Labriola pointed out when we talked to him earlier, um, you know, I'm kind of in the same camp that he is that, you know, I don't think that that Mason Rudolph is as bad as a lot of people seem to believe that he is. You know, a lot of people think that his, you know, he's a – he's just not a good quarterback. And I think it's a little bit unfair to say that. I mean, his first real NFL experience was in a really – kind of strange year where he was forced to play and he probably wasn't expecting to play really at all. And then all the stuff that happened in Cleveland too, that really derailed his season. He was um, perfectly adequate until that game. Yeah. I mean, then, he was then fine. the wheels fell off right. for receptions. And then what would happen with miles Garrett? I mean, that right. Just, that was the icing on that the compounded cake. everything. Cherry on yeah. Top, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it was going to be tough for him as a first year starter, even though he wasn't technically the starter, right. but he was when Ben went down to shake off a four interception performance. Oh, no, no. You knock on getting, cracked over the head with a helmet that's right. just it's it's such an uphill climb for someone who is just getting their feet wet at the position oh no doubt and I think that definitely played into that and then you know he took a couple weeks off when duck was there and then obviously he had to come back in in the Jets game and if he stays healthy I've, I firmly I believe they win game. that game yeah, yeah. And, and if they do they're they're a playoff team all of a sudden um and obviously Mason and gets injured him in out that, that tunnel in that playoff absolutely game. Yeah. he's a starter in the playoff game so you know I if the season ended differently and if the Miles Garrett thing didn't happen, who knows what we would be saying, what a lot of people would be saying right now about Mason Rudolph. I just think it's a little bit unfair that everybody kind of, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of fans seem to be down on him and think that he's just not that good. And he might not be the heir apparent. Like, I'll acknowledge that. He very well might not be the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger. But if he's the guy that, you know, is the starting quarterback for the Steelers for a couple years, you can live with that. There's a lot worse that you can do. Um, you know, and again, if that's your idea, I guess the question could be asked, why did you bring in Dwayne Haskins? But we've said it a lot on this show is that it is a low risk, high reward type of situation. If he doesn't pan out, well, OK, that's fine. You know, he, we didn't really he's on a futures contract, so we control him for two years if we want to control him for two years. Um, and again, if he pans out, OK, and he battles Mason for the job, you know, in the future in 2022, that's great. And if he ends up beating Mason out, that's even a bonus. But again, I think the edge does go to Mason just because of the fact that he's been here. You know, he, he's been there and done it a little bit. But again, like I said, it's it's very interesting, and it's kind of more of a conversation for 2022, you know, who would be the number one, because I do think it's an interesting conversation when we get to that point. But right now, it's definitely Mason is the number two. Mason Rudolph started in nine games in his NFL career, eight the year that Ben Roethlisberger went down with injury in the Cleveland Browns game last year. Dwayne Haskins has started in 13 games. Of course, that was with the Washington football team. And let's be honest, he had a little bit less to work with when he was stepping in for the Washington football team than Mason had to work with when he was stepping in for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, I mean, Mason is 5-4 and four in his nine games. In the 13 games that Haskins has started, he's 3-10. and 10. Mason already has thrown three more touchdowns than Haskins in his NFL career. Uh, he has 15 to Haskins 12, and he only has 10 interceptions to Haskins 14. Now, 
the interceptions might help that Mason has played less games as far as that number is concerned. But if you look, just look at how they have played when they got the opportunity to start so far in their NFL careers, I, I think the eye test tells you that Mason Rudolph has the leg up on Dwayne Haskins. But I do want to be clear that I think the ceiling for Haskins might be higher than a Mason Rudolph. I mean, this is a guy that was taken in the first round. Right. Ohio State quarterback. Right. His exit in Washington was a tricky one. It's not exactly like they parted ways for him because they were mad about his performance. Well, I'm glad he you brought that COVID up. Protocol, and I'm that's glad why you brought that up because earlier when he spoke to the media, his big onus on that, that press conference was, I want to convince this team that I love to play football. Yeah, the people well, that took a chance on him, he wants well, to make it right. Well, if that were true, Dwayne Haskins, why did you go out to a club during a pandemic when you knew your team and your league had certain protocols in place and risked your chances of playing football. He's saying now that he wants to prove to people that he he loves the game of football, so maybe well, he's he, learning from that mistake. Maybe yeah. he's trying to say that I made a mistake, I'm gonna learn from it, I'm not gonna risk my chance anymore. And the talk of OTAs was I mean, Steelers have loved what they've seen from him so far. Yeah, they have completely bought in since he's gotten here. So I, I think I agree with you, Tom, that the ceiling is potentially Probably higher, higher on Haskins. Just because of... But that's more of a 2022 conversation. Let him get his feet wet here in 2021 as the third quarterback right. on this roster. Have Mason be the backup. Then if Ben does retire after 2021, you can fully open up that Rudolph versus Haskins for the starting job in 2022. And that's more fair for Haskins, too, because he'll have a chance to fully acclimate himself to this offense, to Coach Tomlin, to Coach Canada, with this 2021... It's not a redshirt year, but kind of is. When before Justin Fields came to Ohio State, all the quarterback records were set were set by, by one Dwayne guy, Haskins. and that was Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. And he, in his time at Ohio State, had just as good of a tenure as Justin Fields did. Neither of them won the national championship, but they still got to the playoffs. Well, they were the number one guy right before they went to the NFL their last year with that school. And coming out of college, he was highly touted. He was highly regarded, and he was a first-round pick for the Washington football team. And there's no reason to believe that just because of some minor setbacks due to off-the-field decisions, and at the time, this was this was at the start of the Ron Rivera era, so not necessarily he had his footing, he had his firm grasp on the team. At the time, the Washington football team wasn't in the best place. There was no... Terry McLaurin there. There was no, I mean, up until this season, Curtis Samuel there. They weren't building around the team as they have you, as you've seen them do these last two and years. Now that, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but the defense is just a world beater. Oh, absolutely. Uh, night and day compared to what it is now versus then. It wasn't the right team. And so you bring a guy like to the a guy like Dwayne Haskins to an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers can do so much for players here. Arthur Motes, of all people, can can attest to that. When you come to an organization like the Steelers, you it's a different feeling. You you know the history there, and you know what they've done for so many players in their past, and and how professional they they hold themselves. So I think a guy like Dwayne Haskins can absolutely benefit from being brought from a Washington football team to a Pittsburgh Steeler. And again, I just I think it would be more in the Steelers' best interest though to have Mason be the guy this year to be the number 2. Yeah. If Ben Roethlisberger were to go Now, let me say this. If Ben Roethlisberger, God forbid, has a season-ending injury like he did in 2019, 
then maybe you do start opening up and practice a little bit and seeing if maybe Haskins starting to show a little bit more. Maybe you give him a start. But if it's like a two, three-week period where you're going to be without Ben, I, I think the safest bet for the Steelers in 2021 is to just roll with Mason Rudolph. We got one more segment to go here on the Steelers' standard. When we get back, I want to take a look around the AFC North division. We'll look at the quarterbacks in the division, and we'll talk about how we see that shaking out in June, mind you. Still a long way to go before we get to the NFL season. But that's on the way next as we wrap things up here from Heinz Field for Steelers Minicamp on the Steelers' standard right here on SNR. This is live coverage of the 2021 Steelers minicamp live from Heinz Field on your 24-7 home for the Steelers. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Wrapping things up here on the Steelers standard for day three of minicamp and for minicamp as a whole, but keep it right here on SNR when we're done. We hand things over like we have for the past two days to Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on Steelers Blitz. So, Definitely make sure you keep it here once we sign off. But before we do, we've talked a ton of Steelers all week long. We haven't really gotten into the rest of the league or the rest of the division, and I think it's a great chance to do that now. Looking at the AFC North, I think it's the second-best division in all of football. I think the NFC West, from top to bottom, is just any one of those teams can make the playoffs. I feel like the Bengals are the only thing that's kind of holding this, the AFC North back from being right there with the NFC West, but they're still going to be a much improved team in Cincinnati. So it, it's you're facing six really tough games on your schedule when you play in this division. And one thing I want to start with is the Baltimore Ravens. And when we had Labs on earlier this week, he said he never discounts the Baltimore Ravens. Right. And how could you when yeah, you can. they really have been running parallel with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the modern era of just – a total consistent model of football, always right there making the playoffs, always a contender for a Super Bowl, tough physical teams, head coaches that have been around the block forever are both probably well on their way to the Hall of Fame in Harbaugh and Tomlin. So, I mean, it's almost like looking into a mirror when you're the Steelers and you look at the Ravens or, or vice versa. And he's right. You can never count them out, especially when you have an MVP, a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who finally, finally, was able to get that playoff win under his belt last right. year and can start to build on that this year. Hey, you're you're a fool. It's a fool's errand to discount to write off the Ravens to yeah. discount the Baltimore Ravens at any point during the John Harbaugh era, even when it was Joe Flacco's last year getting starting, uh, getting starts under his belt, and they were struggling, and they they decided to. To, to pivot to Lamar Jackson, everyone thought, "Well, this is the desperate move. This is this is the nail in the coffin for the Ravens. They this was their Super Bowl winning quarterback with their Super Bowl winning coach, and they they're quitting on one. And, and it looks like in the direction this season is going, they're going to quit on on the coach by the end of it and and rebuild entirely. That didn't happen at all. What happened was Lamar Jackson came in and changed the league upon entry. And ever since, it's been Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes as the 1A, 1B most exciting quarterbacks to watch in the National Football League. And Lamar Jackson and and Pat Mahomes went back-to-back with MVP wins for for themselves at very young ages, and kudos to them for doing so. But as long as Lamar Jackson is around and able to stay the mobile quarterback that he is, and as long as John Harbaugh is still the coach of that team, there is no reason that anyone, fan, nor player, nor coach, 
nor medium ever should discount the Baltimore Ravens. They are as good as it comes in terms of complete NFL teams. They have the offense led by Lamar Jackson. They have a good defense. There's no reason to believe that they will shy away, that they will take a step back in 2021. I think the biggest thing there is that they're the they're the model of consistency, right, for the last, oh, I don't know, X amount of years. I mean, even when you thought, as you said, Jacob, I remember when um, that season when Flacco was uh, was really bad and then all of a sudden they pivoted to Jackson, it seemed like it was going to be the end of Harbaugh in Baltimore. But even then they were consistent. You know, it's it's really been that way. And Jackson and, and, ripped off how many straight games right, and got him to the playoffs. Right, there, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what Lamar Jackson brings. And uh, we've said it so many times on this show, not only is Lamar Jackson an incredible athlete, he's probably the best athlete any time he steps on the field, regardless of who he plays against. That's just the reality of the situation. And when you have that at your disposal at the quarterback position, most of the time it's going to work out well for you. Most of the time it's, you know, it's going to work, and it really has worked for the Ravens. But, yeah, you definitely can't, can't, can't count out the Baltimore Ravens just because of the fact, like I said, um, no matter what the outlook is, you know, from the outside perspective, it always seems to be that they are the model of consistency. They're always in the playoff hunt. They always are going to be in barn burners against the Steelers and the Browns. It's always going to be tight competitive games. That's just how it's gone over the last X amount of year. And you don't want to be up by three or less with a minute or less remaining no, in the football right. game because that guy can kick the ball from, like, the other 30-yard line, <laughs> right, right, right. it seems like. The best kicker that I think I've ever seen. Oh, no sure. doubt. Probably any of us. When you think Ravens, much like the Steelers, you think the defensive side of the ball. They did suffer some losses this offseason. Matthew Judon leaves. He goes to New England, and they weren't able to work out a deal with Yannick Ngakwe, who they got last year. But you still look at the names that they have. Uh, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf, and Calais Campbell up front. Pretty good. Uh, guy we were very familiar with in LJ Fort. Wasn't that great in Pittsburgh, but he certainly has found his stride in Baltimore. And they have their first-round pick from a year ago and Patrick Queen on the inside there. you got Tyus Bowser and Pernell McPhee. I mean, those aren't guys to write home about, but they're certainly solid. But that secondary, especially at that cornerback position, is probably the best in the division and in maybe even the NFL. Marlon Humphrey, one of the best. Marcus Peters uh, right there with him. And their third guy, Jimmy Smith, is a great veteran to have Absolutely. for both of those two. So. Uh, defensively, yeah, they lose those guys that I mentioned in Judon and Ngakwe, but I'm not ready to say that they're going to take a step back defensively either because they, they still got some playmakers on that side of the ball. They definitely do. And, I mean, you, you laid it out. It's They are, and I think Kellen used the word consistent, right? That That is, they are the staple of consistency there. And with as long as, as I as I said before, as long as the quarterback and the coach are there, there's no reason to think that they could, despite other pieces possibly being lost, there's no reason to think that they could take a significant or considerable step back. But their big weakness still is that wide receiver group. Of course, and they addressed it in the in their 1B pick this year. It was a later pick. It wasn't one of the top three guys that we saw going to Vontae Smith. Uh, so Rashad Bateman. It was Rashad Bateman, but it wasn't one of those three guys that went in the first ten picks, right? No, it was seventh overall. Right. It wasn't Jamar Chase. It wasn't any of those guys. So maybe he helps, I don't know, but they certainly didn't go out and use the free agent market, which seemed to be soft on receivers anyway, so they didn't seem that they would have to even spend that much money on a receiver if they wanted one through free agency, but they did it. And I'm there's still probably opportunity to do so, but they 
I don't know why they haven't made that move yet and why they didn't make that move before the draft so that they, maybe they could have addressed something else also in the first round. But it's pretty obvious. It is their biggest their their biggest weakest link. And, Kellen, I'm sorry. I know you have some thoughts here. but You're good. Julio Jones could have been had. I mean, we, we see that now right. with the price tag that was on him right. that Tennessee got him for. A I second mean, and a fourth round pick? Absolutely. They should have Happily been heavily on the train to try to grab Julio into Baltimore. Oh, no doubt. I mean, when you, how do you – I mean, I'm sure they probably did send something. I mean, if you didn't, well, that, that's shame on you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ball, they definitely could have had um, Julio Jones. It's not a huge asking price considering what, you know, ended up happening for what, what Tennessee gave up for him. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I will agree with you, though, Tom. You know, when I say they're the model of consistency, the one thing that they haven't been consistent at is in the wide receiver room. Um, I mean, you think back, Des Bryant played for them at one point. You know, that's kind of how, how desperate they got. For the first got. time in, what, like three years? Right. It's how desperate they got for wide receiver help. They went to the scrap heap and brought in Des Bryant. I mean, that, that gives you an indication of, you know, how, how desperate they are at the wide receiver position. And, yes, they did address it, and I'm sure Bateman will help because, I mean, why else did you draft him in the first round if you weren't going to use him? You don't have many wide receivers anyway. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that is the one thing that, that – you worry about, but at the same time, when you have Lamar Jackson, who's a game-breaker at quarterback, you know, a wide receiver doesn't always have to be, you know, it doesn't always have to jump off the page for you. Now looking at the Cleveland Browns, this is a team that finally got to the playoffs last year, yep. got a playoff win under right. their belt, as Steelers fans are very familiar with. Now it's about taking that next step forward. And, you know, Labs did say that there's a chance that, you know, they could find look at themselves and say, hey, we got over that hump. We got into the playoffs. We got that playoff win. Now we can kind of rest on our laurels a little bit. And while that could be a possibility, I, I still think the Browns are my favorite as far as who's going to win the AFC North. Um, a lot of that comes down to Baker Mayfield. He's the key to all of this because, I mean, they have weapons on weapons on that offensive side of the ball. The best one-two punch at running back in the league in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, and Austin Hooper at tight end. It's a very good receiving core, a lot of targets there, and they've improved their offensive line a lot for Baker Mayfield. And then you know about the defense and the stuff that they've sunk into the defense this year, bringing John Johnson in uh, from L.A., signing Jadavion Clowney to work opposite of Miles Garrett, who's top five in my mind as far as the position that he plays. So I think the roster from top to bottom uh, on paper is the AFC North favorite roster. But a lot of it rides on Kellen, your favorite guy, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> continuing to grow in this Stefanski offense. And he looked really good towards the stretch, down did. the stretch of last year and in the playoffs. Is that the Baker you're going to get, or are you going to get the Baker from huh. 2020 or from 2019 well, and at the beginning of last year? I think that's a tough question to answer because of the fact uh, – I mean, if they continue doing what they did down the stretch, I've said it many times on this show, they relied more – on the running attack, they relied more on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They allowed Baker to use the play action to roll, to, to get away from the offensive line, to, to move his feet a little bit as he threw. And that's when you really saw Baker Mayfield, I think, at his best. And, uh, you know, uh, if anybody here listened to the, the Steelers Saturday shows during the year, I, I said Baker Mayfield flat out stinks. I, I said that. Yes, you did. But at the same a time, a lot. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> a lot. Um, but at the same time, when, when you roll him out and you get him away from pressure and you l utilize the things that make Baker Mayfield Baker Mayfield, you know, 
you can expect success. And, and when they have such a good running game as they do in Cleveland with Nick Chubb, you know, you hand it to him, you know, four or five times in a row, all of a sudden you, you run a play action fake in a bootleg, and all of a sudden there's someone running wide open in the middle of the field. Yeah. There you go. It makes it easy on any quarterback. So, I mean, if they continue that, I think you can expect to see Baker stay on that trajectory. Am I saying he's going to be an all pro or, you know, a, a, an MVP or anything like that? No. But at the same time, if they make it easy on him, I mean, you make it easy on any NFL quarterback, it's going to end up in success for you. And I agree, Tom. I, I, right now, as we sit here in June, I think they're my favorite to win the AFC North. Yeah, I think they're mine too. And we just spent so much time talking about how consistent the Baltimore Ravens has been. Well, it's very possible we could be sitting here in three years from now talking about how consistently good the Browns are. The Browns are going to yeah. be with their coach, head coach, and quarterback combination of Baker Mayfield and and. Kevin Stefanski, it, it is just going to be a nightmare for the Steelers. What it could be a nightmare for the Steelers in the post Ben Roethlisberger era if if Baker and Stefanski. The whole division to sets work. up to be a nightmare for the Steelers, right? Because we haven't even gotten to the Cincinnati Bengals and quickly yet. before we have any chance they surprise. I think what they won what three games last year, two Something games like last year without Joe Burrow. I think that number can easily bounce up to maybe five. They're going to be more competitive. For I sure. think they're going to be more competitive. And but what I said earlier too was, the Steelers I think had the advantage of losing to them last year. Now they're on high alert. Of That's the a Cincinnati, weird thing to say. Cincinnati Bengals thing. I, yeah, it's weird. But the Browns and the Ravens are sitting high atop the AFC North, saying we are the ones who can win this division. Maybe it's their That's turn. That's true. It's kind of like come get us, even though the Steelers are the defending champs. Right. Maybe it's kind of their turn to kind of get shocked a little and shaken up by the Bengals. So I, I definitely think they'll be more competitive with a healthy Joe Burrow. Well, it's certainly going to be a tough AFC North race, and any team who wins this division is certainly going to be more than deserving and going to be incredibly dangerous come playoff time. Would not be surprised if three teams find their way into the dance from the AFC North either. But that's going to do it for us here on the Steelers Standard. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're going to hand things over to the Steelers Blitz, Arthur Motes. And Wesley Euler checking in from 1 to 3 right here from Heinz Field for day 3 of Steelers minicamp. For Jacob Recht and Kellen Gursky, I am Tom Offerman. Thanks for listening, and keep it right here on SNR.